And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Spiritual Spiral. I am thrilled to welcome Pejman Ruzbe to the show today. He's a musician, producer, better known as Funk Fiction. That's his, I guess you could say, stage name or his artist name. I'm really excited for the conversation, and I'm going to tell you why in, in just a moment. Again, you know, if, if you're new to the show, head over to iTunes, give it a review, give it a five star. You can find me on my favorite place on the planet, Instagram. You can say hello, reach out, tell me what you think about the show. Visit IamEddieCone.com, join the newsletter. A lot of creative stuff happening right now. I'm writing, or I just finished a book, I'm writing another book trying to get my first book sold, writing new music. So lots of stuff creatively happening. I'm teaching yoga classes online, all the bookkeeping stuff out of the way back to Pejman. So as, as I mentioned, his artist name, Funk Fiction, I'm going to give you a little backdrop to my podcast and why I was so excited to have Pejman on the show. So I was just reading an article about Little Nas X. He was talking about, instead of working on his craft as a musician, he wanted to devote all of his time to becoming noticed on social media before working on any sort of musicians, any sort of musicianship. That's the world we live in. And then this piece sort of talks about how artists now have to be comfortable spending time on social media branding yourself, getting noticed. And that is really a big part of why I created the podcast, because I don't think there's anything I can say or do that was going to stop that trend. But I think of the introverts. I think of people that aren't comfortable in front of the camera. I'm thinking about artists like Led Zeppelin or Eddie Van Halen or John Bonham or all these people that spent years on their craft as a guitar player or as a musician, it's not necessarily about that anymore. And of course, I not to be on the pessimistic side here, but I I personally have noticed a trend where craft and musicianship and artistry and songs and records just aren't as good as they used to be. I think when the quality of art dwindles, it affects everybody. When more people are concerned about their Instagram presence and how they look than actually spending time on the creative craft or the craft of creativity and artistry, that does have an effect on all of us. And I think it dwindles the artistic landscape downwards. And so my podcast was a response to what I see happening. And it's happening in all a multitude of mediums, television, film, even Ryan Murphy, who I talked about a few weeks ago. One of the greatest television producers of all time is thinking about attention spans as opposed to the craft of writing a screenplay. So it's affecting everybody. And it's sort of this hidden apocalyptic trend that everybody's just so in it on that merry-go-round that they're not really thinking big picture. And sadly I am. No, but I just, I think about that. I think about 
the world of artistry and creators and how they're impacted by this seemingly impossible trend where you have to spend, it's supposed that you have to spend more time worrying about your brand, your look, getting people's attention as opposed to craft. So this leads me to Pejman because, first of all, I always found him to be thoughtful, sensitive. I met him through DJing. And when I spoke to him, I just, I just got the, you know, I get this sense from people where I can tell that they're deep, thoughtful, and not just doing what everybody else is doing. And, you know, most people are doing a lot of software synths where they buy the software. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I certainly do that. And it's obviously more inexpensive. But Pejman actually buys and owns the actual synthesizer hardware that a lot of people in the 70s and 80s used. And his, his music, his band, Funk Fiction, it's this very sort of retro disco 70s vibe, but it's also very contemporary. And I even told him the other day, there's not many bands and, and music out there where there's no lyrics or no vocals. And I'll think that that music holds its own without the vocals. Because I'm a singer, so I'm sort of always thinking about melodic uh, vocal melodies that could go over the music. So like Tycho and Ratatat, or I think it's Ratatat, those are two bands that are really popular and there's no vocals on them. And to me, the music stands by itself. I don't feel like they need vocals. And I think Pejman also has amazing music. All the music that you're listening to on today's show, by the way, he produced, he performed. He also has this really interesting project that he just put out. I wish I should have asked him more questions about it. So I think that's my only regret is that we didn't dive in here a little bit more. But he just released a record, an EP called Dystopian Waters. And it's inspired by The Outlaw Ocean, which is a book by Ian Urbina. It, it really talks about some of the chaotic world that happens on the op open waters. I mean, trafficking, smugglers, pirates, mercenaries, thieves, repo men, vigilante, conser conservationists. This is a book that I have to buy. So it's, it's, the book is called The Outlaw Ocean by Ian Urbina. And Pejman recorded an album inspired by this book. So uh, it's an amazing album and I can't wait to buy the book. I need to like go out and buy it immediately. Um, and so it's just, it was a really thoughtful conversation. I, I find a lot of joy in connecting to people that take their time where words matter, where craft matters. And again, in this, in this world where everything is moving so fast and everybody wants you to stare at Instagram and think about your image, it's nice to speak to a fellow artist who still honors the process of actual creativity, not the process of worrying about your brand or taking selfies. So again, you can find Pejman on Instagram. Funky Synths is his Instagram handle. Spotify, the name of the band is Funk Fiction. And be sure to check it out. It's great music. All the music that you're hearing today on the show, on the episode, is by Pejman. So Stoked that he took the time to speak to me about music, creativity, sort of what's going on culturally right now. There's obviously a lot to talk about. Again, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, give it a review, a five star. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. 
join the newsletter, IamEddieCohn.com. I'm going to be writing some monthly newsletters about my podcast and some essays, and I'm also releasing some new music soon. I'm, I've got like five or six songs that I'm working on that should hopefully be done soon. So as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Endless labyrinth, aided by a watchful call on the bridge, the helmsman tries to avoid following the net. He threads a zigzag course among the endless array of buoys. It's funny, your voice and your look, you, you look like this guy, Robert Chanazarian, that I used to go to college with. And uh, yeah. we're, you know, we're like probably 10 years older than you, but every time I hear your voice, it just it reminds me of, of him. Takes you back. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, good news, I liked him. He was always a cool guy. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm, all, I'm all for um, positive, good psychological associations. Yes, yeah, so you have nothing to worry about. Um, well, well, shit, man. Thanks for talking. And um, I, I was in the mood for a talk and I thought about you a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I want to talk music and stuff because my podcast sort of originated out of some confusion, some like disdain. And, and not that I'm wallowing in what Napster and Spotify have done to the music industry because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously technology has certainly benefited me and makes creatively, I think, a lot of artists' lives a lot easier. So I want to go there for sure, but I certainly just want to talk about, because you're a smart guy and I always felt that you were a thinker and, you know, like to oh, sort okay. of, yeah, well, you you kind of are thoughtful and, and, and feel a lot and are, and you're very analytical and that's a lot of compliments there. Thank yeah, you. Well, that's the impression that I've got. And so I'm, I want to, I'm going to lead this conversation by two things that I'm just really frustrated by. So the County of St. Paul, Minneapolis. So the, the first coroner's report for George Floyd is that asphyxiation was not the reason for his death and that it was because of high blood pressure uh, p- potentially medication that he was taking. And so the family of the Floyds hired an independent coroner over the last day. Yes. And so this person's finding out that it was, in fact, asphyxiation that was the cause of death. It was, in fact, asphyxiation. Yes. So it, that's what this second coroner is is saying. So yeah. what's, I guess, you know, and then I read a story today in Forbes where there's a lot of technology producing 
uh, new AI technology where there's more and more videos and photos online that are actually completely fake. And they're very concerned about, you know, there's a video where Barack Obama is using profanity to describe Donald Trump, and that, that was completely false and fake. And so mm. my concern here is that, <laughs> you know, but, but here's this perfect example where you start to think about, like, the people in control. And so I start to think, God, was this coroner the work for the county, you know, paid off or doing whatever he or she can to make it— Which one? The, the, uh, the county coroner, you know, was that— The one that originally said, said it that was it wasn't, from a high blood pressure Exactly. So, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a— it's a really frightening world that I feel like we live in right now with people that are in control can really just control the narrative. Manipulate truth. Uh, it, I mean, that's kind of what my podcast is all about. It's all about the power of manipulation. And I believe that mm-hmm. the, the technology and social media has really just is completely manipulated people's brains and changed the way that people think. So, you know, what what is your thought about not only just social media, but what's going on and, and truth and manipulation and and sort of what's happening? I don't even think I'm um, I'm qualified to answer it. Uh, it's, well, you, you certainly have an opinion about like what's going on. Yeah, there. I guess I guess I'd have to preface all my opinions with, for what it's worth. Yeah, from my limited understanding, from what I can gather so far, um, pending new information. I guess I can maybe make it more personal for you. Have you sure. have you been a, have you been aware of the power of tech and manipulation in the media and how they really do have a way of controlling the narrative? I suspect it. I don't know how far it goes. Um, factually, I'm, I'm of the school of thought that uh, all possibilities or all theories are on the table. Hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not quick to shun or dismiss um, Opposing thoughts, uh, unconventional or controversial thoughts, like, let's examine it. You know, let's let's take it to its ends. And uh, the truth has a way of shining and remaining standing. Uh, and so I don't – I feel like any theory that goes against what's popularly believed in should – should be nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be afraid of. If like if truth is truth, um, truth is on your side, and it, it it's invincible, kind of inherently, as far as I can tell. Yeah, uh, but I don't know if that answers your question. You're asking me. Well, uh, I mean, I'm still, or maybe it did. I, I'm I'm because it, it's it's a multi-dimensional question you're asking me, and I'm trying to zero in. Well, you bring up this idea of truth. I mean, have you ever? And and again, I think. We're all sort of truth. We're, we're our own truth tellers in a weird sort of way. With it, with social media and Instagram, we are portraying the truth that we want people to believe of our lives. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think and actually, I love that about your branding. And uh, I know for a while you were like, you would write these kind yeah, of. I kind of stopped. Uh, I know, but. I found them so hilarious. These satirical, kind of fabricated conversations that sounded realistic. Yes, um, but they're just ridiculous and like their hubris or self righteousness or the hypocrisy 
that would uh, the, that would be ingrained in like the proverbial person that would be speaking it that you would be writing on their behalf. Yeah, exactly. No, I, that was that was golden stuff. I got <laughs> I actually laughed out loud a bunch when you were doing that. Well, then I'll well, it's funny. I'm, I finished my my first book that I'm trying to get published right now. So it's oh, that's that's so exciting. So congratulations, thank you. I, I maybe I'll because um, it actually evolved out of sort of those snarky, sarcastic comments yeah. that I, so, but maybe I'll write a, a much simpler, just quotation book or something where it's just those, those simple comments. I'd make a great coffee table book. Yeah. I was thinking about that also. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to start posting those again, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Have have you, What's your relationship with with tech and social media, and, and does it bother you, or do you see what's going mm. on, or do you do you? Because it seems like you just post every now and again some music kind of stuff, but it seems like you kind of shy away from it. But what's what's your what's your deal with it? Uh, that's a good observation. <laughs> um, I think that frequency will probably speak more than what I can say. I think that speaks for itself uh, in that I do shy away from it. Um, Why? Not that I'm shy, usually sure of myself. Um, I'm very unashamed of myself. Uh, I have nothing to hide. Um, so not, I don't shy away from in that sense, but uh, I, find, I find it to take up too much headspace mm-hmm. uh, among several reasons. It's just, it's too much to occupy and I'm just trying to still enjoy life. And I notice it just like being keen with my inner thoughts or my inner world. I'm like, wow, I'm thinking about what's going on in my little phone screen a lot. And I don't like that. Um, I still want to just stop and smell the flowers, enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. Um, all the mundane stuff. I, I really like enjoying like the mundaneness of life because I uh, can just like enjoy stillness and feel alive and feel the sensation of being alive. And I feel like if I spend too much time thinking about social media or tech, I feel like it robs me of my well-being and my capacity to really just be present and enjoy because I'm already not a very present guy. Like, <laughs> even if it's not social media and tech, I'm thinking about like, oh, I like, I, um, I missed out on like buying this great deal of like this vintage equipment that I had my eye on and it finally showed up. And like, now I'm like, it's like, dude, you have a bunch of stuff, like enjoy it. But like, no. And that's just like a really niche thing. Uh, like, oh, I, I missed out on a great deal on a vintage synth and like, I'll like rob myself of being happy for half a day or a day and like, that's not cool. So like if I allow social media in to my already flawed way of human way of thinking, um, I'll be a total mess rather than just a mess. Yeah. So that's one reason. I just don't like to allow the headspace. It's 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 it would it would I don't have enough room.
escape a feeling of narcissism that comes packaged with being active on social media. It's a big look at me contest from from what I can gather. It's just yeah. it's like what's the motivation? Why are you why are you posting espousing your opinions every day or multiple times a day? Um are you very um passionate about making people think the way you think or have people see the way the world the way you see the world? Um I'd rather just kind of observe and really share my thoughts the way you and I are right now, uh, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, in conversation, in person. Well, this is as close as it gets to being yeah, in person because we're FaceTiming, but yeah. we, are getting, we are getting FaceTime. So I, I'd like to save like sharing most pictures or memories or thoughts and ideas in a real conversation that's in real time where you don't have, you don't have like the barrier of hiding behind um, your phone and they can't see you. And you're just like being presenting your perfect self through text. No, you got to like be on your feet and have your wits about you and express your tone, your body language. Yeah. All of the, Uh, it's funny. I just wrote an article for medium a couple of days ago where, and I talk, oh, medium's great. And I talk about this though, where all these subtle nuances and, and context, um, all these, these, these nuances that add context, be it eye contact, uh, I'm using my hands right now. And mm. these are all void. And even me nodding with a, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, and I think this is why there is so much, disruption and i almost feel like i i do feel like we need to get rid of these platforms and it sounds insane and over the top to say but i really believe that you know you can handle yourself and and i can handle myself i guess my conundrum though is is that as a creator as an artist if if you know i'm working on a song right now I'm trying to get it done, and I just wrote this piece for Medium, and I, I obviously share it on those platforms because I want people to mm, see yes. what I, see what I'm doing. So I just I think as I think as a musician artist, it's it's valuable to use these platforms. Very. The thought of removing them, though, um, I'm also a big proponent behind autonomy and free will, free choice. I don't like to. I don't believe in censorship or banning anything. Hmm. If anything is truly a bad idea, well, a person should be free to make the bad choice. Uh, if smoking's bad for you, then like go ahead and smoke. You know, you have the information, but you're your own free creature. Um, I agree with you that they've harmed society. Um, I do think we weren't ready for it. I don't think we were mature enough collectively to be able to wield it properly with um, self-control and responsibility and respect and kind of like putting it in its place instead of letting it put us in our place. Mm, I, yeah. I don't even know if I'm wording that correctly. No, that's I'm, beautifully I'm, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here. No, that that's beautiful. I think you're right. It's, 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 it's almost like there's two lives and that life is, becoming more important. And then my concern and what I was writing about in my article is, is that that fragmented way of communication through DMs and emojis, 
Um, it's it's taking the place of conversations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people used to handwrite letters or ride horseback to see each other. And uh, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I guess I have uh, I'm referencing Poldark, uh, one of my favorite shows. Okay. Um, and it's just cool to like see like just 200 years ago, people were riding like horseback everywhere in the countryside, and like people would have messengers like they would handwrite text messaging was done by writing a note and sealing it with like a, a signet uh, with wax and then handing it to the messenger for, for them to take to whoever he wanted to get to for them to open up their text message of uh, that you hand wrote. Right. And it had to be very well thought out and you really had like, okay, how, how effective can I be here with the message I want to send? Because I don't want to send, you can't just send text message after text message back then you had to just do one at a time and right. if corners you into having to be effective with how you communicate. Well, uh, yeah, we, we've gotten spoiled with our means of communication, perhaps. And yes, we do rely, as you said, on emojis and just tech, quick text messages digitally, uh, which has probably hindered us in our ability to um, communicate uh, super effectively uh, by second nature. You know, like even right now, I'm. Uh, it's like it's stimulating to talk to you and have to use my brain and uh, select the best possible words yeah. to to communicate to you instead of just being lazy with my words and thoughts and just ah, oh, you feel me, right? You know, you know, right? Yeah, like <laughs> right. No, I or a thumbs up. Tell me, tell me, what what are you what are you really trying to say? And well, there was another thing that I sort of picked up on while I. I, so I wrote this article. I don't mm-hmm. want to get into it too much, but I, it's very timely. And I talked about how Facebook is creating this IDGAF culture. Uh, I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. people really just think about themselves. And, yes. and they sort of stamp it with the seal of approval. Like, I, I don't care about you. I don't give a fuck. And then we sort of like look up to that attitude as follow that, your truth. Yes. I'm going to follow my truth. So which, I, is a self, which is a self-defeating completely uh, statement because truth doesn't care about what you think. Truth stands on its own. Whether you, truth does, is not contingent on preference. Right. Which is another reason why I sort but we of, can't both be true. No. By, by yeah. definition. So I sort of correlated it to what happened in Central Park where Christian Cooper, the African-American man who was birdwatching, you know the story, right? I'm kind of familiar with it, uh, if I I recall correctly. Amy is this white woman who completely acted ridiculous and freaked out and and called He asked her to if she can put her dog on a leash. Exactly. So this was this I actually connected to IZGAF though because if she just would have listened and said sure Christian no problem th- there would never have been a story but we live in this day and age now where people don't like to be what, told what to do oh yeah so wow, that's a that's a um, good point and so <laughs> but but in this weird sort of way though and i again i connect it to social media where it makes people feel like every nuance of their life is worth sharing and they makes it people feel like they can say or do anything they want without context without thinking about people's feelings 
that's tying back into the narcissism. Yes. Um, I don't have a perfect record. If you go further back, I haven't deleted stuff. Um, but if you go further back into my Facebook history, I used to post freely, non-selectively, um, lots of non not valuable uh, content, very kind of vain yeah. um, content, um, kind of self-aggrandizing, self-congratulating stuff. And uh, I, I don't know how long ago. It's been a while. It's crazy how long Facebook's been around, actually. But uh, at some point, probably maybe five years ago, I um, I suddenly like tuned out, or I, I I noticed it about myself, and was like, oh, I'm kind of I'm kind of being <laughs> I, I'm very I'm being very selfish all yeah. the time with my activity, and I'd like to change that about myself. Um, let's just start with disconnecting somewhat uh, and seeing where that leads. encourage me you're so inactive you're so inactive on social media you should you, you need to advertise yourself you need to um, put yourself out there and um, people want to know what you're up to people want to you you know you're shutting them out of like your like the things you're into and your personality and I don't know if I'm that interested in branding like branding my personality or anything I'm it's like the music speaks for itself. If you like it, I'm, that makes me glad. I love that you enjoy the music. I'm really just trying to connect to you musically. I'm not. I'm not trying to like sell. Hey, you should be into Pejman. Um, that's, and I, I struggle with it. I uh, sure. and the thing is, like, I want you. I want to be liked, and I want to learn about and and meet tons of people that uh, I can learn from and. And enjoy their company, um, but we're also we can't we can't spread ourselves too thin. And I'd like to at least ten. Uh, I'm already neglecting all my personal relationships in my life, right? And I need to like spend more time with my parents. I need to spend more time with my friends that I haven't seen in a while. I need to spend more time with my brother and my sister. I need to spend more time with um, my girlfriend's parents. I need to spend more time with. Myself, <laughs> I, yeah. I need. I can't just keep uh, constantly being like connected to everyone, um, and it's not a rich, substantial connection either. When it's all through social media, online, everyone's everyone's just kind of you know you go to the grocery store, everyone's just like in line on their phone, and no one just does like a quick 
Hi, how are you? Yeah. Um, hope your day's going well. Um, tell me about your troubles. Like, well, when's the last time a stranger <laughs> cared about your troubles? Right. And, and really meant it when they asked you, how are you? Because most people, at least it feels like, just want to hear, good, how are you? Good, thanks. And when most people, I, don't feel, I feel like most people aren't always good. And maybe they, uh, they feel better if they were able to share their problems with you and you could bear their burdens. One question about, or one comment about the media, whether you want to respond to it, then I want to dive in more about your music. But I was thinking about, like you said, it's a, I forgot the word exactly, but it is a good world. It's a positive world. And, and I know my podcast can come across as being pessimistic. Some, yeah. Pessimistic and dystopian. Oh, um, I dig it though. I, I think that's, I think that's a strength. Okay. Um, but, it, but it needs to be, it, it, but, it works. It's you're, you're, you're touching on something. I just I think the the a really quick comment about the media. I, I this is why I have a little bit of disdain for the media and I talk about responsibility because I, I do think while you say that we all have choices, and I, I agree with you, it's ultimately your choice to talk to me and my choice to have dinner tonight. Boy, there's there's certainly a lot of people out there that that are controlling very subtly, but maybe mm. not so subtle. You know, if if you're playing video games all day. That that's going to manipulate your brain. If you're yeah. wa- if you're watching the media, the way they bombarded people with the coronavirus, creating fear, now creating a lot of fear. It's I, I just I, I think the media has much more of a bigger impact than I think we're giving them credit. They have for. a huge responsibility. Well, let's talk that's about a, that's a. What well, what are you thinking? Did I touch? I don't even know where to begin. You know, the media is so influential, and and uh, they play such a big hand in influencing uh, the masses on how to think and feel um, on a daily basis, and it kind of shapes people's worldviews. And you don't know who the gatekeeper of facts is. You know, like does it end with Snopes? Hmm. Is uh, or is like. CNN and MSNBC can never go do, or, or Fox News can never do any wrong. Um, they can are, are their sources always valid? And then not only are they valid, but what there's by nature, there's too much going on. There's too mm. much going on in the world to report on all of it. So you have to uh, select be selective. What are we going to report on? What's important news? Do, do what do we find to be important to report on? And so the the media does seem to be very selective with what they want to focus on and what their what a specific narrative must be, um, which is a sacrifice of all other narratives and all other uh, stories that are happening every day. Yeah, I think my biggest how many how many hundreds of thousands of people died in Afghanistan, um, but nobody cares. No, like, uh-uh. who that- cares about Af- Afghan? Do Afghani lives matter? We went to war and it lasted like well over a decade. And um, we pretty much wrecked that country, uh, mostly innocent civilians that had nothing to do with it. And it's completely out of their control. But do we care? Do we talk about human trafficking in like Cambodia uh, or Thailand? Um, I just read read a book on it. I actually have an EP coming out on this it's like a music companion soundtrack to a book. The book is called The Outlaw Ocean. 
Hmm. And it's written by this investigative journalist, Ian Urbina. Um, I know this is a tangent and I'm okay. tying it back yeah. up to the news and like how influential they are. That's what, like, what we're talking about. But the point is uh, he, he, he spent five years documenting uh, crimes at sea. Uh, because they're not enforced or regulated because they're happening in the ocean in international waters. And one of them is being, you know, human trafficking and smuggling and uh, poaching, illegal fishing, uh, murder, uh, guns dealing, all this sort of stuff. And does anybody care about that? Uh, is the news reporting on that? Is it not sexy enough to report on that? Um, it, or is it? does it even not matter how sexy the news is or not, but there are private interests? Is it, is it, is it out of line to think that the news is bought and paid for, politicians are bought and paid for, judges are bought and paid for, um, lobbyists ensure that. Um, I mean, what's not bought and paid for now? And by, by you know, it's like once the chips are stacked, uh, a person with a lot of money can kind of bully their way into pulling, making sure they are pulling the strings. And one of my biggest issues with the coronavirus story is that it literally made every other medical condition just non-existent. Yeah, what happened to heart attacks? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Strokes, um, drunk driving, car accidents. um, And of course, then... You know, the CNNs will say, well, this is more contagious. And, and again, I will, I will rebuttal and say, you, you cannot predict contagiousness or immune systems because everybody is different. And also, this is so brand new of a, of a, of a virus that you're not going to be able to get actual real data for at least 12 months. That's, one of, that's what one of my physician friends said. Um, he kept admitting, even though he's been a doctor for, like, a, a resident doctor, of, no, even he's been a board-certified doctor mm-hmm. for many years now, he was very humble about a lot of people like to think they know yes. uh, how to deal with this virus or that they know exactly what it is and um, how, we need to, how we must respond to it, uh, that they know how deadly it is or how not deadly it is. Uh, and he kept saying the truth is it's so novel that we really don't know. There is not enough data. There's not enough research. Um, uh, all bets are on. Um, you know, you could, we, we, we must consider all postulations. And he was like, uh, whether it's the mainstream news or if it's uh, conspiracy theories, they're all valid currently um, right. until we fully examine them. And... I thought that was really cool to hear coming from someone who's an actual physician. So well, the reason why I brought up that story in Central Park with, with Christian and Amy Cooper is I realized writing about that, that if I didn't get that piece done within about three days, that that story will be old news and people oh, yeah. people have already moved on to the next story. Oh, so, yeah. That's like damaged goods. It's too old. Yeah. So I, I do think... This world of fast-paced next, 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 and again, I think it's sort of leading to why I wonder if change can ever really happen, because to enact change, you need to sit with something for a while. Yeah. And really, I don't think people have the patience anymore. No. So I, as much as I want to be hopeful about change and growth, 
people are so sidetracked and one-track-minded and so selfish and self-indulgent, and then the stories just shift and quickly change so fast that I, I had a whole level, a new level of appreciation for good writers now that are writing topically about what's happening in the world because you literally need to pump your story out within a day, get it edited, and bam. And yeah. and I think about the way I create and and wrote. My, I took two and a half years to write my book. You know, I wow, to, that's diligent. Yeah, it's it, dedication. But it takes, to, you know. How is your process um, with writing music? And I want to transition to music and just yeah, what, ins- what inspires you. I mean, do you get really sort of down and out and depressed and sad, or do you write more from a happy place? Or are you disciplined and write every day, or do you sort of wait for inspiration? Well, you're you're very uh, <laughs> you're very uh, insightful in the different approaches. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've done. I don't even, so. even think about that, but as you were saying it, I was like, well, that's. Those are different approaches and attitudes to making art. Yeah. A lot of uh, musicians, uh, some that I even know, write, they, they claim to write their best stuff when they're heartbroken and sad. I wouldn't yeah. be able to write shit <laughs> if I was heartbroken and sad. Um, but that's just me. Uh, I actually write my best stuff when I'm feeling um, inspired and happy. Oh, okay. And and if I'm if I am sad or down, um, I l- seek something that excites me and pumps me up. Hmm. Um, and I also have been trying to incorporate the third way you were talking about in terms of just making sure you write something every day or just be diligent and keep a schedule and just write for the sake of it uh, as to exercise that muscle and build the muscle, the creative muscle so that you always have stuff. Dominantly it is, um, I need something to, I need something that excites me, that motivates me and propels me to want to write some good stuff. And I even, it's funny, I, like 10 years ago, I used to write very, um, part of me used to write very emotional, um, how does that word? I mean, yeah, let's just say emotional, heartfelt, um, kind of, uh, music that touches on our pathos, uh, more than 
more than now. I, now I like to write more like accessible, um, uplifting stuff. Uh, yeah, I think I used to like write, writing more like dreary or morbid stuff when I was way younger right. and I liked touching on darkness, I suppose, yeah. but did you, I grew, I grew out of it. Did you know a world before, um, Napster and Spotify? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, what was I like 12 when Napster came out? I'm about to turn 33. Okay. So I'm still 32 for another 11 days. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, cause I really talk a lot about, um, when did Napster come out? I remember being like, it came out probably early nineties. No, no. Yeah. Like I was late nineties, mid to late nineties actually. Oh no, you're right. Yes. Late nineties. Uh, yeah. I was 12. I'm pretty sure. So that must mean it was 1999 actually. Does it bother you that, um, cause I talk about this, you know, it's another theme of mine. I don't like this idea that people can get music for free. And, yeah. And in, in even this $10 a month that people pay for Spotify is a fucking joke. And I know one of your songs has like 2 million streams and it's not like that 2 million streams. I imagine. Thank God. Yeah. But, but did that, but does that really equate to like a lot of financial money? Because I don't, I just, the way the, and, and I can delete this. I don't have, need to get like exact figures and money, but I, I guess one of my points is, You're that fine. I, I, but I, but I've said that I don't think, okay. I don't think lots of streams on Spotify really equate to big dollars. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't equate to a huge amount of money, I suppose. I, I don't know like what's fair really. I don't know. Cause on one hand, if someone bought my music and paid for it once and just paid a dollar for the song, I might not get as much money as how much they stream it. You can look at it both ways. And I don't know what figures you know about how much Spotify pays. It's not bad. I'm actually quite happy with it. Um, you're one of the only people I know that has ever said, actually, I think you're the only person I know that has said that it's not bad because I believe for one stream, it's, it's under a penny. Yes, okay. it is. Um, it it's generally about four tenths of a penny okay. uh, per stream. So um, that would mean a million a million plays would get you about four thousand dollars, give or take, depending on how many unique listeners. I think it yeah. ranges between three to five thousand dollars per million streams, depending on how many unique listeners are listening. Because if it's the same listener spamming and just putting it on repeat, listening to it 200 times and giving you 200 streams, after I think the third or fourth or fifth stream, it substantially decreases to like almost nothing. Because you're just, you could just be a bot. Um, But if there's, but I also think the algorithm takes into account that if it's the same listener, but some time has passed, like at least a day or two, the, the plays are more valuable again. So it, I think it takes all these factors, these like nuanced factors into account. Well, how I many guess listeners, how much time between listens, yeah. things like that. I'm not trying to, but it's just funny. Of course, I think of a platinum selling record, even a single selling a million that equates to a million dollars that obviously is not all going to the artist. I mean, a lot of it's going to the record label and company, but I imagine it's the artist is getting more than $4,000 from a song that becomes platinum. Um, that might be, a yeah, st- but it's not the same because I mean, I know it's a strange analogy and maybe, but, it's, no, it is. It's a, it's a good effort. And I'm, I'm, I'm partially with you. I'm not actually 
against getting paid more. I would love to get, uh, and I've actually have had some, I would love to get, um, instead of $4,000, $40,000 for my million plays, you know, like, and uh, man, that would, that would solve a lot of problems in my life. Um, I don't have it terribly easy. Um, I've, I chose this full-time music job and it's uh, as a freelancer and uh, that's uh, resulted in me having to scrape by quite often for many years. And that's not comfortable and it's not fun. Um, but I keep pushing it because it's like, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm way better at doing this than anything else. So, and, and, I get, and I get a lot of encouragement from fans. Like fans really like, um, even just like, and I don't have like a ton of fans, but I just have like, at least a, a sig- small but significant portion of loyal fans that really like, oh man, like I'm believed in and that fuels the fire. How would but you yeah, just... I would love to get way more than four grand for a million plays. See, I get the sense, I, I just, I had a guest on, actually you would like to talk, Harmon Rizzo, he's a producer here in LA. You know, he says people are paying for knowledge, so people are paying for master class, and, and, and I agree with that. But then I start thinking, of course, after the fact that I spoke to him, if there was some person out there that figured out a way to get master classes available on some cloud server up in the outer space, would people then start downloading master classes for free also? I just, I have this strange sense that people don't appreciate the craft and mm. and the the work yeah. that goes into a song and even Netflix charging ten twelve dollars a month, you know it is having an effect on creators and I think it, it is it's pinching everybody. I think it detrimentally affects quality of of, of craft. Craft is a good word. Um, craftsmanship is dying, hmm. and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what can you do? I guess. Uh, I guess people get what they pay for and what they uh, consume, right? And it's 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 a two way street, you know. Okay, fine. If if you want to steal our music, then you're not gonna get you're not gonna get um, a thriller or Dark Side of the Moon or whatever masterpiece album that like took a large personnel and like painstaking meticulous hard work to to bring to you um i think it's i think the consumer is responsible too and i i value the consumer so much uh because they give me a reason like i i don't just make music for myself i make music for for listeners i i like i love connecting with someone i love um the fact that something i did in my space, in my room, um, put out into the ether, into the, into the internet. And, and then it like reached a listener, like thousands of miles away. Uh, and it hit them on an emotional level. Like it touched their heart. Uh, I did my job, you know, like I, I, that's that, that connecting on a plane that transcends words through music and having someone even like go further and, and, and reach out to you and tell you that, your music helped me in my two weeks recovery during a hospital um, visit. And that was, I, that was the hardest part of my life, but your music got me through it. Like that uh, is very rewarding. It's very fulfilling. And like, I, I love the human connection that it can bring about. 
So I need consumers. Musicians, artists need consumers. Um, and I don't know who's responsible. I guess it's also money, uh, the, the money at all, no, no matter the, all the cost, you know, yeah. like labels who transition to manufacturing music and just um, becoming gatekeepers of artists that they want to mold. I think companies like Columbia and A&M, they had A&R people that served as the gatekeepers that decided, you know, they had taste. And there's this thing called taste where some people are better at, at having taste. And now it's sort of up to anybody can go into Yelp and write a review for the Chick-fil-A down the street. And, you know, and, yes. you know everybody believes that their, their taste is supreme. And I don't believe, and I don't believe that. And and I think there is a value in somebody out there tastefully influencing what what people should be listening to. And 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 I think it affects quality. If if every movie that came out was fantastic, you know, even Martin Scorsese, you know, it's like his quality has gone down and, and Tame Impala is one of my favorite bands and their last couple records, I just think have been really mediocre and Radiohead, OK Computer is like one of the greatest records of all time and Moonshape Pool, I, I can't even sit through. I, I just, I think we've got this strange, if, if the art is great, it actually produces more great art. I think so too. I, look, man, I'm actually, <laughs> I, I totally side with you and I, I'm actually uh, made arguably detrimental to myself because look at this. I don't make music with a laptop and like, look, I, I'm yeah. using vintage equipment from the 80s and the 70s and, or the 90s and like. That's that's a, that slows down your workflow. Yeah, that's like you're you're. I slow myself down. I I'm I'm using old, arguably unreliable equipment instead of just in the box software to take my time and make some good music. Uh, hopefully, right. and um, that's not that's not conducive to making music fast. No, I work fast. I've gotten good at it. But it's not convenient to have to like you now hit record to rec- record the audio from a 1987 piece of hardware. Um, it's way faster to just have it ready to like trigger right in on your screen virtually and have it ready to go instead of, okay, I wrote the music, now hit record to re- record these eight bars from a Roland D50. Like... Well, I can get the software version, or right. I can get the software vor- version of the Korg M1. Uh, why do I need to uh, have the rack or the big clunky keyboard? You know, like that's not that's not quick. That's not fast. And so, like, I agree. I actually like. I'm kind of countering the trend. Like, no, well, I want to make good stuff for you, so I'm going to slow down and make sure I make good stuff for you. I'm not going to just. I'm not going to make music to make the quick buck. Like I can't compromise the love, the integrity, the quality, the craft.
how did you how did you get into the piano? Did it start with piano? Were you ever into other instruments? Or you know, what's your musical ear and or background? Oh, um, I just I was just really into electronic music in my teens, and um, I, I came from rhythm games. Actually, I used to like play DDR. If you know what that is, no. Uh, Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, so it started, and I think that that kind of taught me um, basics of rhythm, um, like what quarter notes and eighth notes and sixteenth notes were. But um, eventually, I, I I got my hands on um, music making software, and I got sucked into it. And I was just like, oh, like just making beats, mm-hmm. and I thought that was the coolest, most fun thing. But I just knew immediately, like, oh. I don't have a command over what I'm doing. I'm just kind of like having fun and um, that's cool and all, but I'd like to have fun and know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> so I immediately thought, well, w- within like a, after a couple of years of that, I thought, okay, I should, I should probably learn piano. That sounds like a fundamental instrument to know, to make this stuff. So um, I, um, got my mom to help me find a piano teacher locally. And I took up uh, piano, um, classical piano uh, at age 17 in my senior year in high school. And um, I trudged through C major scales and I'm like, oh, this is so boring, but I know it'll pay off. I should do it. I should I should stick with this, this these mundane practices. And then um, let's see. I took three years of that. I got pretty proficient at like intermediate classical piano. And then um, I think, and that was in tandem with my music making on the computer, just making like beats on with software and um, they fed each other. And I made the, I made the best and worst decision of applying to a private art school (laughs) to, I decided to study music. Like actually my, I, my parents loved my enthusiasm for music. Uh, you know, I, your parents normally wouldn't support that. Like, right. no, going to business law or medicine music. That's like, that's like professional career suicide. But, um, I, uh, I, 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 I got, my compositions got more rich. Um, I was able to actually get into, uh, a good art school and study music as my major music composition. I got really enriched there. I, I learned ear training, music theory. I got good enough to the point where I ditched sight reading and I'm like, forget this. I like my ears. I can just play back anything. Yeah. Even if I've never heard it before, like I, I uh, my ear is strong enough now. And I learned some jazz, jazz piano during school then too. And I was just a late bloomer. I started at 17, ran with it. Um, got fairly good, fairly quick, um, and while, all while const- constantly f- fueling my my love and passion for electronic music making, like that was it was always it. It was just electronic music. But at some point, my love for electronic got shared with um, funk and disco. I think uh, Jamiroquai had a huge effect on sure. me, like in my late teens, and I just became like a total funk disco maniac and i i think uh oh and i guess uh, early daft punk and jamiroquai were like big influences in shaping you know like jamiroquai being the organic live disco band mm-hmm. and 
early Daft Punk having a big like that that French house sound where they sample a lot of disco but make like organic electronic house with it. And so that, that's kind of that that propelled the whole thing and just after that point it just became a self-taught endeavor. It's like okay, you're good enough to just teach yourself the rest. Right. Has this um coronavirus time been um, inspirational for you? Have you found a lot of time to write a lot? Has, has it been, cause I, I, I don't want to say too much, but I've, I've loved it cause I've really had a lot of time to write and create. What, what about you? I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad, uh, you're finding, uh, the silver lining there and enjoying yourself in this time. That's cool. Yeah. Um, as for myself, <laughs> I would have to say nothing really changed. I okay. was already in coronavirus mode for a few years sure. leading up to it. Um, I've been <laughs> working from home for the past few years, minus DJing. I, that was something that would supplement and keep, help, keep me afloat um, because I couldn't compose fully full-time. Um, but by the time coronavirus came... Um, by the grace of God, I had become more busy um, as a composer enough to now like, because ju- just when coronavirus came is just when my DJing had to stop. Hmm. Um, you, you as a fellow DJ know that uh, the coronavirus coming uh, came at a time where I was just getting busy enough as a composer writing music for video game soundtracks and um, putting stuff independently as an artist on Spotify and Apple Music, etc. Point being, I'd been working from home uh, right, <laughs> for right. a long time. Yeah. Um, last question. Do I, do I miss what? Yeah, last question. I'll let you go. Just do you miss DJing? And do you think DJing is going to come back to what it was? Is it possible? Man, I don't miss DJing for bars. I yeah. hated that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't at first. And I still wouldn't mind it if they like paid more but sure. i find bar owners and restaurant owners to be really cheap like yeah like dude it's work to like lug big speakers and the dj equipment hook it all up and and then tear it back down and lug it and and transport it on top of like standing on your feet for hours on end yes to like make your bar thousands of dollars like your bar just made five grand and you're just gonna pay me three three hundred dollars yeah. Like that's painful, but I at the same time, if you don't do it, another DJ is gonna do it and you just you made zero dollars. And it's like you well, you'd rather make three hundred than nothing. Right. Um and so like it's it's tricky, but I don't miss that. I wish we were I wish it was less thankless. I wish it was we we got compensated more justly. Um so I don't miss that, but I do miss being invited to play a show. Uh, and the the interaction, the electric interaction between you and l- a live audience that you're feeding off of, like it's real, man. Like it is. You, uh, if if a crowd is feeling it, like it, you DJ better, and if you're DJing better, the crowd feels it, and it like it's it feeds itself <laughs> cyclically, and it, it, you get a lot of energy from the crowd, and there's nothing like that. Like they really like hold you up. Yes. And um, I don't think anything can replace that. I mean, you can live stream all you want and you can, you can see a number, a ticker saying that 100 people are watching or 1,000 people are watching. That's not the same not as the an same. actual 1,000 uh, person live audience that you're in front of. 
and I hope it comes back, man. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's going to, I don't even want to say it. Like I, yeah. I'd like to think it'll come back. Like I don't, I, I don't like calling it the new normal. I like calling it the new abnormal. Yeah. Meaning with implying that we're going to go back to normal. I don't necessarily like to accept that this is the new normal. Like I think we are more resilient than that. I think we're more, we're more human than that. I feel like it's antithetical to being human to just stay at home all the time, put a mask on all the time. I feel like it psychologically damages us to always have to wear a mask. Like this can't last um, without taking some psychological toll. And I don't know if people want to, I mean, I guess we've taken the toll of, of social media, so why not this? Right, right. What's another uh, what's Are another we that mask? complacent? I don't know. Yeah. I, I like to be more optimistic that, no, we, uh, we, uh, we'll come back. Yeah. Well, so Pejman, uh, pronounce your last name? Ruzbe. Ruzbe. Yeah. And it's Funk Fiction, the name of the band, or name of your, your artist name. Correct. Yeah, uh, cool. Funk Fiction is my artist name. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for um, taking it, taking the time to be a part of the show. I really, really appreciate it. Same here. My pleasure. From the larger fishing vessels, stationary nets are released to form great mile-long walls beneath the surface. No longer made of cotton or more breakable strands, these new nylon nets can snare even whales.
makes this campaign so unique. It's so simple that it had never been tried before. We would simply find a poacher and we would stay with them for however long it took until they finally went into port so we could hand them over to law enforcement.